I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. So where do you start a talk with U.S. Senator Al Franken? There's so much to discuss. Russia investigations, President Trump, congressional hearings, health care. Which is why we started with the obvious, the Grateful Dead. He's a big fan. But don't worry, we quickly moved off the dead and to the policies and politics that matter today. As Senator Franken makes clear, that's why he says this is the best job he's ever had. You surely know some or all of Senator Franken's biography. You know he was an original and long-standing member of Saturday Night Live. You know he made a living for decades by being one of the funniest people in America. You likely know he became, by the smallest of margins and several months after everyone else got sworn in, a U.S. senator in 2009. And you may know that he's written a new book titled The Way Any Modest Kid from Minnesota Would Title It, Al Franken, Giant of the Senate. But even if you know all of Senator Franken's background, or just a small part, or somehow none at all, read the book. Unless you're Ted Cruz, then don't read the book, because there's stuff in there about you that you might not enjoy. But if you're not Ted Cruz, read it. It's really good. It's moving. It's funny. And it tells the traditional American tale of the kid who wanted to be a comedian and did. And then he became a senator. Cliched, I realize, but give it a chance. Here's my conversation with Senator Al Franken. Senator Franken, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. Yes, you bet. In, in the spirit of true facts, not not the alternative facts that I know you look down on, please be honest. Um, you wrote the book just so you could host the Grateful Dead on Sirius for a day, didn't you? Uh, no. No? <laughs> that was, that was, uh, we, we, uh, I met with the publisher and our, you know, our communications team, and we were going over a rollout of the book. And I said, I asked if I could do that, but that was, uh, um, and then, and and most of the my team thought that was like weird, but actually, um, Bill Walden evidently sold quite a book, <laughs> it, <laughs> books from from him do, just doing, I think, a thing on it. But I wanted to kind of host the day. I'm a big deadhead, so yeah. I really just wanted that. That was a thrill. Yeah, that, it's not a book uh, more to answer the question I get asked the most, which is, is being a United States senator as much fun as working on Saturday Night Live? And of course, the answer is no. Why should it be? But uh, it's the best job I've ever had. And um, I wanted to just explain how I, the other, the other question I get is how did you make the transition? And then the other from comedy to uh, politics. The other is, what's the Senate really like? So I kind of, those are three basic questions that I that I answer in the book. And, and and they do all get answered. It's a, it's a really, really, uh, it's a good read, and it's a lot of fun. Well, thanks. The the, the humor comes back. Um, and and I say that, you know, I mean, I say that pointedly. I mean, you know, for those of us who who did follow you throughout the years, um, you, you kind of put it uh, in, in your back pocket, um, uh, for for a number of years, you put it through the de- dehumorizer, um, but it, it right. uh, but it came back. Did that feel good? Oh, oh yeah, of course. It's uh, I mean I, I didn't completely. I, I, you ah. know, with my colleagues, I was funny, and you know, my family, and, and uh, uh, just not publicly uh, because I wanted to prove to <clears throat> Minnesotans that I was taking the job seriously, and. Um, uh, you know, having won by 312 votes, it seemed like an important thing to do. Yeah. yeah. So I, and then I won handily the second time. So 
Um, I'm, I, I freed up the funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying that you were humorless. I'm just, yeah, I guess when, when, when 312 is your margin, uh, you, you gotta be, uh, I get, what did you say in the book that it was the, uh, it was the biggest 312 clobbering, uh, that there's, there's ever been something like that. Well, I clobbered him yeah, by cl- the smallest clobbering. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and, and, uh, he, the Norm, Norm Coleman, um, you, it, you might not have run, or it, it, would you have run if it hadn't have been for him? And and in particular, and I wanted to ask you a little bit later. I didn't mean to get to uh, Paul Wellstone so quickly, um, mm-hmm. but but sure. that was. Would you have run without his? Uh, um, talk about humorless, humorless line um, about. Uh, well, you know. yeah that that was the first that was the first time I'd ever thought of running for office. Is um, just a few months after Paul died with his wife and daughter and uh, three staffers and, of course, the pilot, co-pilot. Um, Norm Coleman, in a roll call profile, said, uh, to be blunt and God bless, or, yeah, God bless Paul's soul, I'm a 99% improvement over Paul Wellstone. And that was the first time I ever had the thought of running for office and i just thought you know who's going to beat this guy and i said i didn't say guy but um <laughs> that's a senate I, uh yeah that that um i i uh and ultimately it became less and less about being norm coleman and more and more about uh making sure people got health care and didn't have to go bankrupt if they uh, had a uh, a serious accident or, or got sick and uh, about other things as well. So, um, but that, that was the kind of the first impulse. It, it was hard to read, you know, the chapter on Paul Wellstone and I really hadn't thought about him, uh, enough or much in, in, you know, in, until reading, you know, your chapter. And it was hard to read that chapter and not imagine that you spent some time crying while you were writing that. And, and you wrote elsewhere in the book that you're uh, a bit of a crier. Um, but, but I'm a crier. The, the, the actual, uh, I didn't when I wrote that, but I did when in Lies and Lying Liars Who Tell Them, which I wrote in 2003, um, that, that one, that was a tough chat. I wrote a chapter on the, um, the way the, the right wing media spun the memorial service for Paul. And, um, I very proud of that chapter. And, uh, but it was a very, it was a difficult one for me to, to write. Uh, this one, I've, you know, uh, I've thought a lot about Paul I think uh, I think about him very often, of course, and in this I have the seat he held. Um, Humphrey held it too, and so did Mondale. And um, you know, I try to honor his legacy every day. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, it's 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 at least some time has made that a little easier. Yeah. Um, and and the quote that you uh, that you write about the the future belongs to those who are passionate and work hard. 
Um, you, you know, what struck me on that was a, particularly in the, in the times, that, you know, the partisan times that we have, and, and I want to get to that, and I'd like to ask you a little bit about the news of the day. Um, but it, it had nothing to do, that, that quote has nothing to do about, uh, you know, right versus wrong or anything partisan or, or left versus right. Um, it, it's just, you know, quite plainly how you want, you know, what you would want your kids to know. Be passionate and work hard. Yeah, and he was talking, uh, I mean, he was a political guy, so he was talking about politics. But he says that um, you know you gotta you gotta do the work. And he was a big organizer, and he believed in in that that kind of politics and grassroots uh, politics where you are passionate and you work hard and you, you know you do the prosaic work of politics as well as as the uh, as important as anything. So news of the day, and I, I hate even asking you about news of the day because it's going to take, you know, however long to, you know, just, you know, put this up, post it. And by the time, uh, inevitably, by the time this get posted, it gets posted, even if that's uh, 30 minutes from now, and it won't be, it'll be about uh, two or three hours from now. But, uh, you know, so many things could have changed even, you know, in, in that amount of time. But, uh, you know, as of now, end of the day on uh, Wednesday, um, you know, earlier today, Dan Coates, uh, the director of national intelligence and Mike Rogers, the director of uh, NSA, um, testified and in particular, um, the, the director Coates testimony, um, and wouldn't answer, uh, you know, couldn't answer, didn't feel, uh, it was appropriate to answer some very straightforward questions. And, um, Senator King in particular, a bunch of people really pushed him on it. And the, the, the exchange that really seemed to, to resonate and certainly resonated with me was, um, uh, you know, Director Coates's comment that he, he, he just doesn't feel that he can answer these questions about, you know, any conversation he had even with, uh, uh, former FBI director. Uh, Comey, um, and when asked, what's the legal base, you know, do you, is, is there executive privilege? He said, not that I know of. And, you know, what's your legal basis? And he said, I don't think I, I don't know of any legal basis that I have or something like that. I don't have the quote <laughs> exactly right. Um, right. W- what did you make of that? Well, I actually uh, haven't watched it. I mean, I watched some, very little of it. I just had meetings and, and stuff I had to do this afternoon and, and, and this morning. So, uh, I, um, uh, you know, my question would have been, okay, let's go into closed session. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, or are you going to come, are you going to answer these questions in closed session? Because, um, he clearly wasn't answering them in open session. So, uh, he said, I can't do it in the setting, I believe. And, so it just says to me, okay, well, when, when we have a closed session, please answer that. And I'm sure he'll be talking to the special prosecutor. And, you know, we'll get to the bottom of this. I think we'll know a lot more, obviously, tomorrow. Uh, I think Comey will be a lot more forthcoming. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't work for the administration anymore. So I And I've read his... I've read his uh, his written testimony, and it's pretty provocative. And we'll we'll learn uh, more tomorrow. But uh, you know, it 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 feels uh, like uh, the president was uh, you know being inappropriate at 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 least. And maybe it's hard for you to say at this point, but. Um 
Uh, how far does your concern run? I mean, in, inappropriate at, at the least. Um, does your concern run farther than that? Are you, do you, do, is it hard? Do you have to kind of keep yourself and, and say, well, wait a minute, you know, we just we got to take the facts as they come along and let's take it. Uh, you know, we, we can't get ahead of ourselves or, you know, do you? Do exactly. You th- I, I think, you, you know, we have uh, Robert Mueller, who is, I think, by everyone's estimation, uh, kind of the perfect guy for this job. And I think he's taking it very seriously. And we will see where the uh, evidence takes us. And and that's what we're waiting for. And uh, But in the meantime, both committees and intelligence committees in the House and Senate have their job to do. And uh, uh, the more that comes out, the more that look. I mean, it, it, the, the Trump people, Trump himself, are not acting like people have nothing to hide. Yeah, no, it it uh, it doesn't seem like it. Um, yeah, healthcare. Let's move to another yep. uh, um, issue. Uh, might have been, might have been. Didn't I? Didn't you know? Measure it. Didn't do a word count, but might have been the longest chapter in your book. Uh, just a you know, a few moments ago when you talked about you know why you did run, and it wasn't about you know how to beat Norm Coleman, or at least it, it you know after day one it might not have been, but and it became about what difference can you make, and and you pointed to healthcare. That was the you know that was what you just raised. Obviously, a big uh, you know a, a tremendous issue for you. Um, how nervous are you? Uh, well, I'm I'm angry and nervous. Uh, you know, I'm co-chairman of the Rural Health Caucus in the Senate, and I go around rural Minnesota all the time, and people are very, very scared. Um, you know, I've had roundtables at, uh, like, at a hospital in Perm, Minnesota, where a woman just was crying because her, said my mom gets her home health care uh, through Medicaid, and she's going to lose it. And my husband and I both work, and we don't know what we're going to do. And I've been to nursing homes, and uh, people are really scared there, and uh, their kids are scared. It's uh, What's so ironic about this is that these are areas where people voted for uh, Trump, and they are going to be the ones that are most hurt by by what he's doing. And of course he said he wasn't going to cut Medicaid. And we have this, uh, in the house plan an $880 billion cut in, uh, in Medicaid. And that almost all goes to fact, all of it goes to uh, tax cut for people at the top. And so this is, this is so antithetical to what he said he was running on. And um, it's also uh, the House bill uh, erases the protections for people with pre-existing conditions. Uh, if your state or the company you work for is uh, getting their health plan through a state that has uh, gotten a waiver on the essential health benefits, well, if your uh, if an insurance policy doesn't cover mental health and and addiction treatment, <clears throat> then people who've had a history of mental health won't won't buy that, and they'll have to be charged a lot more, and on and on and on. And also, you're, it's going to be very, very hard to figure out what insurance policy, uh, what your insurance policy does cover, 
it it is just awful. You're going to see, I mean, uh, tens of millions of Americans lose their their health coverage. Uh, It's really, really bad for uh, Americans between 50 and 64. Uh, Their their premiums will skyrocket. Their uh, the subsidies they get will uh, diminish market markedly. It, it's really bad. It's really bad. And what do you, what do you see, Senator McConnell and, and the Republicans coming out with uh, out of the Senate? I mean, how you, so what you've just described is the bill out of the House. Uh, you know, the, the Republicans have said they're they're starting from scratch. You're going to rewrite this thing out of the Senate. Um, what are you What are you seeing coming out of there? I don't know, and I don't know if they know. Um, one, uh, it's hard to see a bill that 50 Republicans back. Two, I don't think they've thought a lot about it. I think they ran against Obamacare since Obamacare was passed and assumed that Hillary was going to win and hadn't really done a lot of thinking about what to replace it with. And I don't think they are all that caught up on uh, on healthcare. As it turns out, it's complicated. Uh, the president is the first American to realize that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was surprising. And nobody, nobody knew it was complicated no. until he figured it out. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if uh, many of my colleagues, my Republican colleagues, had really figure that out. So we'll we'll see what they come up with if they can come up with anything. They should we should be doing this the way we did the Affordable Care Act, which is uh have hearings uh both in in the health committee which has its health education labor and pensions upon which I sit and uh the uh finance committee. That's where this jurisdiction belongs and uh that's what we should be doing. We the Democrats on the health committee have I've asked uh, Chairman Alexander to do just that, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we're doing it in a couple months. In the meantime, uh, the Trump administration and Republicans are doing everything they can to undercut the the market and hurt the market, and that means uh, we're going to see premiums go up. Uh, That's what we should be addressing, (laughs) the premiums in, uh, in, in the market in and the exchanges, and we should also be focusing on prescription drugs. We will be doing, uh, next week we'll start doing uh, hearings on pharmaceuticals. I have a very uh, comprehensive uh, pharmaceutical bill. Anybody you talk to in, in America is uh, knows that in the last three years we've had a spike in uh, the cost of pharmaceuticals. There's a lot of reasons for that, and my bill addressed as many of them. And, uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward to those, uh, those hearings. Yeah. That's, that's the improving access to affordable prescription drugs act. I, I believe and, yeah, uh, yep. yeah, that starts next week. So you, you, t- you touched on something else that, that, you know, the, the health benefits that are being removed seem to be being removed from the very people who, if we believe who voted for whom seem to have supported, um, uh, president Trump. And, and now those benefits are, are being taken away. As you think 
about um, and I, I assume that you you know aren't in the advice to other politicians or or necessarily to the Democrats running in 2018 or or in the future. But if you had to be, or as you think about democratic message, I mean, you you won again, and and you know the. Um, uh, you know the the range up in Hibbing and up in Duluth and people who you know you describe them in the book and and I've actually spent a bit of time up there. Well, Duluth is not on the range. The range is is Hibbing is and the, uh, the the Iron Ore. Well, it's the Iron Range. Yeah, it's, it's up, you know, it, it, and Duluth is Duluth is a port, which of course ships out of which we ship a lot of that iron ore, the taconite, etc. Thank but, you. Uh, we Thank have you. The, there's this vein of iron ore that you can that's mapped and that we have been uh up on the range uh, the iron range have been uh, mining for over 100 years and um providing the uh you know iron ore for to make the steel that uh has built our our arsenal over the years and you have uh union workers you have labor you have that obviously in in Minnesota um, are there messages and ways of and, and policies and, and, re, and I don't mean messages like what you know that you know how to communicate. I mean the policies that Democrats should be organizing behind. Do you feel that the Democratic Party has a positive message that you know it, it can't it, you know it's not about uh, being anti something? Maybe the same as what you said about uh, your initially getting into the race, you know, once upon a time that it wasn't, you know, running against Norm Coleman. It was about what were you for and what could you do? Um, as you think about, and again, I don't mean to put you in the position of, you know, advising other uh, politicians, but when you think about the democratic message going forward, um, anything that from your experience in terms of the policies that resonate um, that you think Democrats really should be getting behind and, and really organizing so that they have a, a, a pro something message going forward? Sure. Uh, it, it depends exactly where you are, what you're, what you're talking about. One of the things you have to do is you have to show up. You have to show up and you have to listen. And you um, formulate policies from uh, – we have a lot of hearings. I'm on a lot of committees. But uh, one thing – one, I – this, this, this uh, administration is very anti-union. And Republicans in general – not all of them, but in general, are very anti-union. Up on the, there are a lot of people on the range who voted for me, and then who voted for Donald Trump. Mm. And there are people who, up on the range, who are you know uh, doing doing well when the mines are are operating. We got hit hard by dumped steel from China. Uh, I worked with the. Uh, 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 Obama administration to put tariffs on this illegally dumped steel that was coming from a number of countries, but mainly from China. Uh, the Trump administration has been good about this. Uh, Secretary Ross it, used to be in, in used to uh, manufacture steel, so he knows the range very well. So uh, that's something that that uh, shouldn't really be uh, a political issue, but it has been. Which is, and obviously has to do with trade, but also has to do with uh, violating the rules of trade and dumping. Uh, but you know, this the range is also um, very sort of conservative when it comes to guns and comes to the environment and 
some other areas. So uh, you you got to talk to people on the range in their their language, and uh, but they care about uh, a strong middle class, and they care that their kids will have jobs and not just uh, in mining, but in healthcare and in manufacturing. And that means having, um, you know, strong community and technical colleges that you can uh, get credentials and get into a, a job, get a manufacturing job, and then have your education paid for by you, by the company you work for. So that that's uh, something I talk a lot about, which is a path to the middle class. I talk in my book about what it is to be a Democrat, why I'm a Democrat. Yep. And I grew up, my dad my dad didn't finish high school. Uh, he was a printing salesman. I grew up in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, in a two-bedroom, one-bath house, but I felt like the luckiest kid in the world because I was. I was growing up middle class at the height of the middle class in the 50s in America, in Minnesota, in St. Louis Park, and I thought I could do anything. My wife, who I met freshman year of college, she wasn't so lucky. Her father died when she was 18 months old or she had a younger sister uh and there were five of them and her mom was 29 years old with five kids but they made it and it was tough they but they made it on social security survivor benefits uh, a lot of time there wasn't enough food the heat got cut off this is in portland maine it was cold and uh it, it was difficult but they made it and my uh, sis, all my sisters-in-law went to uh, college on combinations of Pell Grants and scholarships. A full Pell Grant at that time paid for 80% of public college education. Today pays for about 30 to 35%. We need to get back to making it so you can go to college and not have to work 30, 40 hours a week and sell your blood to get through or take a year off and work and then, and then go to school and take another year off. We got to, we got to make it, um, not so difficult to, to be in the middle class. So that this college debt has, uh, if you just talk to real estate agents, we had real estate agents here in Washington a couple, a few weeks ago. And I said to them, how much is this uh, college debt that kids, uh, graduate with how much is that affecting the housing market? They said, yeah, people are just buying houses much later in life. Um, we have to, uh, make sure that there's things like family leave and that you have 21st century learning centers and schools. That's what the, the president wants to zero that out. What's the 21st century learning center? It's a school that stays open after school closes and stays open until six. And it gives kids uh, something to do, you know, in an upper middle class neighborhood, kids have something to do. But uh, in neighborhoods where uh, you have, you know, like Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 80 percent free and reduced lunch. Uh, they about six years ago, they turned their uh, high school into a 21st century learning center. They went from about 75% graduation rate to like 89% graduation rate. Why? Because the number one determinant of what keeps a kid in school is do they like something in the school? 
And so if they stay after and they like a sport or they like music or they like theater or they like studying an AP course or an international baccalaureate course, you end up uh, or, or st- studying culinary or whatever it is, these kids stick. And uh, the president wants to zero that out. He wants to zero that out. And that's nuts. Would Franny's family make it today? There's the line, I, I forget who you attribute it to um, in the book, that uh, um, it, it's, yes, we believe that we ought to uh, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but you need to have boots. And that the government... First, you got to have the boots. Yeah. And the government gave her the boots because they made my... My mother-in-law, after the youngest one went to high school, she got a $300 GI loan because her her late husband had fought in World War II. And she went to college, and she got three more loans. She graduated, and after she graduated, she became a teacher. She taught Title I kids because she taught Title I kids. All her her debt was... uh, uh, was was resolved forgiven yeah that, that was forgiven with, yeah and uh so yeah uh they tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps so you got first you got to have the boots and the government gave my wife's family the boots and every member of that family became a productive middle member of the middle class and um i worry that we don't believe that anymore and we'll what the Trump uh, administration seems to believe is that you uh, cut the legs out from people. You cut Medicaid, and but you give big tax cuts to people at the top because it's again it's the old trickle down thing, and that that isn't the way it works. Yeah. Uh, to, two questions to, to close out. First, um, back on, on on the book itself. The, the book is. Al Franken, Giants of the Senate. Um, it, it strikes right. me, yeah, and, and it's important, I think, to, you know, I've heard you. By Al Franken. By, by Al Franken. Al Franken. Uh, yeah, by Al Franken. I, I couldn't help but notice there's no article before Giant of the Senate. So are you, are you the Giant of the Senate? I mean, LBJ's gone. Are you, are you the one? Or are you a giant of the Senate. Like, I mean, there are lots of them. And, and I mean, you're one of many, but there, there are lots of giants because there's no article before. That's a, that's the beauty part of the book. It's up for, up, up to the reader to decide. I see. It, it's, uh, I tell the reader to decide, uh, by the end of the book, whether I am in fact a giant of the Senate. And I, uh, gave a book to every one of my colleagues and to almost every one of them. I said from, uh, one giant to another. How uh, that, that what what you say to uh, Senator Cruz? I said, uh, dear Ted, um, I highlighted your negative qualities for humorous effect. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> and, and and it seems Ow. he has, <laughs> and 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 uh, he seems he hasn't. Uh, he seems perfectly fine with uh, everything that you wrote, at least what I've uh, seen publicly from him. Seems happy about it. Well, I, I think he raised money off it, so. 
you know. To close out, sure. uh, um, you know, it's not only today that's on everyone's mind. 2020 is on everyone's mind. Um, for most Democrats, uh, it can't get here fast enough. And, and I know most politicians, if they're asked if they're running for president, they would dodge the question. But you're different. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't follow those rules, which is why. Um, have, have you chosen your running mate is what I really want to know. No, I mean, I've, I have answered the question. I'm not going to I'm not going to run for president. And also, I think it's just too early to be just focusing on that yeah um we should be focusing on health care and uh you know the longer that just sits out there the more uh the more challenging it is for insurers on the, on the uh on the market we should we should you know have a public option uh so there's competition in every county in the country and we should uh, bring back the risk corridors so that insurance companies that get an unpredictably high risk pool get helped out so they can stay in. Uh, there's a lot of things we should do and we should address, uh, uh, farm, you know, pharmaceuticals and we should be funding, um, uh, head start and we should be funding, uh, after school and we should be funding research in NIH and we should be doing the, all this stuff, we should be building infrastructure, research, um, in, innovation, infrastructure, education are things that have always built prosperity in our country and always will. That's what we should be focusing on getting done. Um, the investigations in the, into Trump will be mainly the purview of the different, uh, the two intelligence committees and uh, also, of course, the special prosecutor. I have some oversight in judiciary that, uh, you know, I've been involved, for example, in the, in some of those hearings. And, uh, but that's, that's the work in front of us. That's what we, that's what we need to be doing and focusing on, frankly. And, uh, yep, there's a, there's an election in, in 18 and I want everyone on our side to turn out and all, not only that, but get to work because, uh, the future belongs to those who are passionate and work hard. A wise man once said, Senator Franken, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for the book. It's a you, really uh, excellent read, a lot of fun. Thank you. That was my conversation with Senator Al Franken. The future belongs to those who are passionate and work hard. You can tell he's passionate and he works hard. And he's funny. Read the book. You won't be disappointed. My thanks to Senator Franken for joining and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Mm-hmm.